0: Awesome. Well, we are closing out the book of Colossians. We're not completely closing it out today. We have one more sermon left in Colossians, um, but we're getting close. We're going to see Paul's concluding charges to the church of Colossae today. And so uh, Colossians has been a blessing for us ever since we started. It's been really helpful for us as a new church plant to see where we're going to plant our foundations. And our foundations is Jesus Christ as preeminent, Him as supreme, Him as number one. And so that's our foundation for this church. So let's just see a quick show of hands this morning. Um, Who's planning on going on some kind of a uh, summer holiday? We're hoping to. Anybody else? I guess the Toonies just had their big holiday. So you can put your hands up as well, right? So school is over, exams are over, and uh, the summer is here. Sunny days are ahead of us. And so for those who are planning to go away... Uh, We love that. Love that you're going to go and celebrate and spend some time together. Who likes to go somewhere sunny, somewhere beachy? You guys like that? Love to go to the ocean. Love to go to the Okanagan. How about camping? Who likes camping? Yeah, we love camping as well. How many are going to visit family over the break? Yeah, some people as well. So um, anybody planning to just do a staycation? Like you're just staying in Calgary. You don't want to spend the money on fuel or gas prices are so high. I think we're going to be doing a bit of a staycation here as well. Anybody going to Stampede? Stampede, yeah, it's starting actually this week, coming up, right? Yep. So that's exciting, awesome. So these are all great things to be doing over the summer, when these sum- summer sunny days are coming. And I think we as Canadians are experts at, at using our two months very, very wisely getting out there and, and soaking up as much sun as we can, enjoying our beautiful country. And sometimes... Also in that, the church also feels that a bit as well as people are gone doing their own thing. Um, relaxation and rest. Vacation is great, and we highly recommend you guys do that. Get some rest. Take that summer break. But sometimes our church commitment will fall short of that, so we're asking you to, to be thinking about that just because we wake up on a Sunday morning, and it's just beautiful, right? Let's get church there in the middle of that as well, um, But the theme of this sermon today is really about praying and pursuing. And so as you go on your summer break and as you continue on in the Christian life, Paul's going to call us to continue to pray and to pursue. Prayer and evangelism. How is that going to play out in your summer break? Are we going to be taking a break from prayer and evangelism over the summer? So what part is prayer and evangelism playing in your life right now? And how is it going to play out in the future? Well, as you can remember, the last few sermons from from Colossians, we were dealing much with how we are to relate to one another in the church, how to relate to one another in the home, even at work. And uh, all these instructions were really, really, they were more inward looking, how we're going to relate to one another. Um, But today we're going to see that the Scripture is going to teach us how we relate to the world Now, Paul wants to instruct us. God wants to instruct us here as Christians. As we're living these new lives in Christ, we have a certain way to be relating to the world. And so over these next six verses today, you and I are going to see that as we set our minds on the things that are above, as we set our, our sights on Christ who is in heaven, and as he is faithful to transform us, to transform our relationships in the church, in our families, He's also faithful to transform us in how we engage the world around us. And this is going to compel us and in, to, for us to engage our God-given task, our God-given mission to pray and pursue, to pray and pursue. Let's turn to the text, Colossians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 2 to 6, starting in verse 2. seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this section of Scripture today. We thank you for this whole book of Colossians and how it has been reminding us that how much we need Christ, how much we need his righteousness applied to our life, and that it is when we are found in him that we are given new hearts and a new life. And we thank you that in this, you are instructing us how we are to live, how we are to engage the world around us. So we pray today for your Holy Spirit to be active in our hearts in this place, convicting us of sin, illuminating the Scripture, and compelling us to go, compelling us to be on mission. So teach us today. Teach us the vitality the urgency, the necessity of prayer. And then teach us to go. Teach us to be on mission. Teach us to follow you and lead others to you. And we ask you to do this all for your glory today. I pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. So, so, as we think of these days ahead and we think of our purpose in this life, as we are transformed The first instruction we need to apply to our life today is this. As a church on mission, we must pray fervently. As a church on mission, we must pray fervently. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So just as Paul finished teaching us last week how how masters are to treat slaves and, and how we applied that to the workplace Remember, he was reminding employers that they have a watching master in heaven, and the slaves that they have a watching master in heaven. He then immediately commands the Colossian church as a whole to continue to seek the ear of their heavenly master. And we do this through fervent prayer. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, which means to approach this privilege this privilege that we have to speak to God. And God listens to us. Ever just stop and think about that for a minute? We have a privilege of prayer. We have bold access. We just sang about that this morning. Bold access to the throne room of grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now we can pray directly To the Lord. No intercessor here on earth is necessary. Christ is interceding for us, and we get to speak to him, and he wants to hear from us. So we have the speaking to God, this listening from God, prayer. It's not a burden, it's not a side note, it's not a half hearted last resort. But rather, it is a deep, it is a devoted necessity that we must approach with the highest level of ongoing, faithful engagement. The God of the universe, the one who sustains the universe, the one who created you and me. He stoops to hear you. He loves to hear from his children. And so prayer is the most incredible privilege you could ever imagine. And we are to be steadfast in that. Steadfast, which really means to be busily engaged with, to be fully devoted to, to be fervently persistent in, completely, consistently given over to prayer. To be steadfastly engaged in this unfathomable access to God. But we as Christians, we sometimes write this off as being a bit of a drag. It's boring. It takes too much time. I don't have the time. It's it's useless. I don't see anything changing. It's confusing. It's some mystical thing that I don't even know about. But friends, the truth is that for most Christians... And for the Colossian church here, the measure of our devotion to prayer can often be the black eye of the church. The measure of our devotion can be the black eye. It can be the sore spot of the church. And more often than not, it is the greatest weakness in the church. It is the greatest weakness in the church. But this deep devotion to ongoing prayers, it's all over the pages of Scripture, God constantly tells us over and over and over again to be unceasing. Pray without ceasing. And then Ephesians 16, praying at all times in the Spirit. Philippians 4, 6, in everything by prayer and petition. And so how about you? Would you characterize your devotion to prayer as a steadfast, fervent devotion to the Lord? Would you characterize it that way? Are you busying yourself with the privilege of prayer? Remember, the Colossian church was being threatened with with false teaching, false teachers. They were being influenced by empty philosophies and deceit in the world. All kinds of worldly ideas were coming at them. And as they were called to engage the lost, to engage the dark world around them with the hope of Jesus, what they desperately needed most, what they desperately needed first was an ongoing persistent petition to the only one who can answer their pleas. The King of Heaven. The Supreme One. The Preeminent One, Jesus Christ. And so everything we do ought to start with prayer to Him. So if we have any hope in growing in Jesus Christ, if we have any hope in pursuing His will, if we have any hope in desiring to walk in Him towards outsiders, if we have any hope into reaching the lost, we have to deal with first things first, going to the preeminent one first, and we must pray fervently. And it all starts with a deep, devoted, consistent petitioning of the Lord. And Paul says that this, in this persistence, in this ongoing persistence, the Colossians and you and I need to be watchful and we need to be thankful Watchful and thankful. So being watchful here literally means to be awake, to remain awake, to be ready. So just like if you're on a baseball team or football or whatever you play, when the coach says, look alive, be ready, it's the same idea. It's to be alert. It's to be vigilant in prayer. If you remember remember Christ when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, And he's feeling the weight and the wrath of God, the agony over our sin. Remember, he was sweating drops of blood. And he called to his disciples in Matthew 26 41. He said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Same sense, your watch and pray. So the disciples were to watch him, to to remain awake, to be on guard with him, to be ready for the attacks of the enemy. But what were they doing? They kept falling asleep. Three times they fell asleep. So when it comes to the mission of Christ and your devotion to prayer, your devotion to watching, are you asleep? Are you snoozing at the wheel? Friends, what the Lord needs on the front lines of ministry is this He does not need stagnant, lethargic pew warmers. What He needs is ready, alert, and vigilant prayer warriors. It's what He needs. Disciples who are not only watching out for the King, but also watching out for themselves. 1 Peter 5:8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be watchful. You know what I love about that? Who wrote that? One of the sleeping disciples wrote that. Peter himself. Obviously, he's grown in this area. So, friends, prayer is a way of watching out for danger, watching yourselves, and watching out for others. And then Paul adds on top of this, thanksgiving, praying with thankfulness. How about this? How how is our, our frequency and our dedication to prayer reflecting your level of gratefulness to what the Lord has done for you? Friends, a thankless heart never prays, but a heart that truly understands the depths of your salvation is compelled to pray. Can't help but pray. I love what R.C. Sproul says about this. He says, All of our warfare and all of our activity must take place in the context of constant, unceasing prayer. Just as a soldier on the battle line has to keep in constant communication with his general headquarters and his commanding officer, so the Christian who is on the battle line must be in constant communication with his Lord. He might be fully equipped with all the armor, but if he is cut off from the personal communication of his own commander, then he will be isolated and vulnerable. We need to pray like we're at war because we are at war. And so when it comes to the mission, we can't be asleep at the wheel. We have to be equipped. We have to be ready. Remember, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need the spirit. Apart from Christ, we are powerless to do anything. So we need to be actively engaging the Lord in fervent, watchful, thankful prayer. So we as a church, we believe in fervent prayer. We have it as one of our distinctives: fervent prayer to being dependent and expectant. And you know what this church would not be here apart from prayer. Many people have prayed for this church, many people are praying for this church. We are all praying for the establishment of this church. But I think we have a long way to go. I think in my own life, I have a long way to go as well. I'm sure that's the same with all of you. So this morning, what I want to do with us here is commit, commit to being more faithful in fervent prayer, both personally and together. More fervent, more watchful, more thankful as we seek the will of our King together. And so as the summer rolls on, you're going to see some more opportunities to pray together like we just showed you on July 17th. We're going to be praying in the park. I also commend our small groups that although we are taking a formal break over the summer, gather together for fun, gather together for just hanging out, accountability, and just gather together to pray. Keep on praying. We need to keep praying. We need to keep petitioning the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. And then also, in your own life, in your own personal life, you know where you're at with this. You know where you're at. Repent of being asleep. Repent of not being watchful or awake. And then commit in the power of the Holy Spirit to keep on praying. To continue steadfastly in prayer. So as a church on mission, we are on mission, we must be praying fervently. Praying fervently. And then we see here Paul instructing us further in prayer. As a church on mission, we must pray missionally. As a church on mission, we must pray missionally. Verse 3, at the same time, Paul says, Pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word and declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray missionally. So we got to remember that Paul is not standing in front of the Colossian church preaching. He is not the pastor of the Colossian church, right? He's not a passing by special speaker. Where is Paul when he is writing this letter? Anybody? He's in jail. Yeah, he's, he's in Rome, in prison. He is 2,000 kilometers away writing this letter from Rome to the Colossians, and he is bound in chains. Remember the last verse of the book of Colossians says Paul says remember my chains. So why is he changed? Why is Paul chained? Why is he in prison? Anybody? Why is Paul in prison? He is in prison because of the gospel. And he says to the Colossians, as you're praying, As you're praying with fervency for your own witness as the church, pray also for my witness, for our witness in prison. He's speaking in the plural here. He says, pray for us. So this is including himself. It would include Timothy and Epaphras, Aristarchus, Mark, Barnabas, Luke, other associates that are helping him while he is in prison, caring for him. We're going to be talking a lot about those guys next week. But what I love about this is what does Paul pray for while he is in prison? What does he pray for? So just try to put yourself in Paul's sandals for a minute. What would you be asking for if you were in a Roman prison? What would you be asking others to pray for you about if you were in prison? Safety? Relief? Comfort? Maybe a possible release? like Peter was released from prison. So I'm sure I'd be asking many of these same things, but what does Paul ask for? He asked that the church would pray that God would open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, that is the gospel. That he would have God-ordained opportunities right where he is at. To share the good news right where he is. And he's in prison. So for Paul and his disciples, the mission doesn't cease because of location. The mission does not cease because of distance, time, or oppression. The mission is every place for every day until Christ comes back. Paul believes so firmly in the mission. And Paul believes so firmly in the sovereignty of God. And so firmly in the power of prayer that he calls this little church 2,000 kilometers away to engage to the Lord on their behalf. Seeking prayers from the sovereign God of heaven to open doors, to open hearts, to have divine appointments for the message of the gospel and that he, the apostle of apostles, that this man, would, who has probably shared the good news with more people than you could ever imagine, that he would be able to share it clearly. And he says, as he ought to speak. The saying, as he ought to speak, hearkens to, to his mission as an, apostle, as an apostle. Capital A, apostle. Apostle just generally means a sent out one. He is a herald of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is his life's calling. And so he's praying that he would speak in light of that calling as he ought to speak. And then even today, as there are no more apostles anymore, all Christians are sent out ones. We are all commanded to go and to make disciples and to speak as we ought to speak. But did you get that there? The Apostle Paul, the author of most of the New Testament, 13 books, the one who would stand in front of leaders, emperors, scholars, debaters, he would stand in the Areopagus, he needs prayer. He needs prayer that his message would be divinely empowered by God, that it would be clear, So friends, even though that Paul is a specially anointed man of God, one who the Holy Spirit would write Scripture through, he needs more than anything else for God to go before him. Opening doors, opening eyes, ears, and hearts. This really highlights the hand of God over evangelism. You know, the Puritans used to refer to To God as the hound of heaven. The one who searches. The one who finds. The one who saves. So God needs to be going before our message. And so we need to be praying towards that end. Praying that God would go before us. That he needs to open the doors. Paul knew this firsthand. He played this out. He knew the evidence. Him and Barnabas... When they came back to the Jerusalem council in Acts 14, verse 27, to the other disciples and apostles, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened the door of faith. He is the one who opens the doors of our hearts to know him. So how much more, friends, do we need to be praying to this end? How much more do we need God going before us Every day, to be with our message, to be opening the ears and the eyes of our family, of our friends, of our co-workers, of that guy that sits across from you on the train, he needs to go before us so that we can share the mystery of the gospel clearly. Clearly and that we can proclaim it as we ought to speak. And so, friends, in our fervency, in our watchfulness, in our thankfulness, we must be seeking the Lord to do what only he can do. He is the one who saves. He is sovereign over salvation. So, friends, the power of the gospel is not based in our ability to share it. Ability and skill in sharing the gospel is very helpful but the power of the gospel to save is rooted in the sovereignty of God, opening eyes, opening hearts, opening doors. The power of the word in the hands of the Holy Spirit. That's where the power is going before us. And we need to just be faithful to proclaim it and praying towards that end. You know, a few years ago, I was working in my secular job. We had an office in a shop over in the Foothills Industrial Park, about 10 minutes north of here. And uh, we also had a small group going at that time at the Benison's home. That's actually the core of the beginning of this church. And in our study, we were studying life on mission. It was a study focused on evangelism as a church, living lives on mission. And so in that, we were being accountable to one another, praying together, discussing how we're going to be more intentional and be on mission for the Lord. And so we began talking about how we're going to pray towards that end getting up in the morning and before your day, praying for that day that God would send somebody into your path. And so we were doing that. And wouldn't you know it, within a week of praying that prayer, God brought somebody into my office. Now my office, it was kind of a dead-end street. There was never anybody walking. And if they were coming, there were a salesman or somebody like that. But this 92-year-old gentleman came in and and he just started asking questions. And, And really, he just wanted to talk. In fact, he used to own the building that that we were working in. He just wanted to chat and see how things were going. And so I made him a coffee. We sat down, and we talked for a couple hours. And through that whole time, I was praying, Lord, open a door for the gospel. As we're having this conversation, let me in so that I can come in here and share the good news. And through that first meeting, I got to share it about two or three times with him. Um, And he thanked me for that, even though I don't know if he believed it or not. Uh, but he came back. He came back a week later and a couple weeks after that just wanting to chat. And so I would continue to share the gospel with him. I don't know if he's a believer today. I don't even know if he's alive today. But I do know this, as in Isaiah 55, 11, that God's word does not return to him empty. That it accomplishes that which he purposes and succeeds in the things for which he sends it. Be faithful to share. Pray towards that end. So are you continually praying for opportunities? I sometimes say that's a dangerous prayer because it will come. You pray for opportunities. They are going to come. Like Paul, are you unafraid of your witness? Are you asking for the Holy Spirit's help? Are you seeking the Lord to go before you to soften hearts, to soften and prepare that soil For the word. So, as a church on mission here in Calgary and in the world, we must pray missionally, personally, and together. And so, Paul teaches us to front load our pursuit of the lost with prayer. And then he moves to the action part, the actually pursuing part. He's going to show us that as a church on mission, we must pursue wisely. Verse 5 walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. As this uh, letter to the Colossians has been teaching us much about putting off the old man and, and putting on the new, setting our minds on Christ, living this new life with new hearts, Paul now wants to show us that there is a particular way that we are to present ourselves in this world. And he says we need to be people who walk wisely, walking in wisdom, living wisely. And so as you've saturated that path before you in prayer, the next aspect when it comes to engaging the lost is to be living appropriately within your witness as a Christ follower. I'm just going to say that again. Living appropriately within your witness as a Christ follower. So friends, as, as Christians on mission, we must remember that the message that we share is more than what we say. The message that we share is more than what we say. Our conduct speaks volumes and has the power to either validate or invalidate that which we profess. And this would really tie into last week's sermon. As an employee or as an employer, our witness to the world in how we live our lives. A poor witness towards outsiders can completely invalidate the faith that you proclaim. You ever met that person who who professes the name of Christ, they call themselves Christians, but, but you run into them in some kind of strange situation outside the walls of the church, and their life looks nothing like a Christian life. Have you ever witnessed a brother or a sister acting in such a way, maybe speaking a certain way? It just totally contradicts the values of the faith. Maybe this is us at times, right? Maybe this is us. And I'm sure each of us can point to certain times and 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 places in our life where we have been here, where we have acted like the world, when we have been invalidating the message. I once worked for a Christian business owner when I was a teenager. Um, They just weren't the best witnesses. They were very hard to work for. Um, They were very tight with how they would pay their employees and how they would scrutinize their hours. And there was always a lot of drama going on in the workplace. And they were known in in the community of being just really kind of shrewd. I also know of another Christian businessman. And uh, he operated his his business so poorly, so dishonestly, he owed hundreds of thousands of dollars of unpaid debts. He had lawsuits against all kinds of people and lawsuits against Christians. To the point that his story was so well known around town. It was even in the paper that everybody in, in the town knew that this was a guy to stay clear of. And this was a guy that professed the name of Christ. And I know that we can think of many, many negative illustrations. There's there's always lots of positive ones as well. But we need to walk wisely. We need to point each other to walking wisely in the Lord. And in that, we also need to point our fingers to ourselves. How are we walking? Are we walking wisely? Perhaps if you're like me, perhaps you don't like long lines. Who here likes long lines? Well, in case you're in Disneyland, it's not not that big of a deal. But long lines. I don't like long lines. Um, I'm an impatient person. Maybe it's that, that lady in, in the store in front of me that, that is trying to get the exact change. Or say I'm in, in rush hour driving. Say you're on Glenmore or Crowchild in the middle of rush hour. Who loves that? Um, thousands of cars Trying to get home, and you know what? I am the best driver in this city, right? I know how this is supposed to work. And for some reason, the engineer who is programming that stoplight, he must have made a mistake. It's only letting three cars through. And worse than that, when we get to the stoplight, the person in front is fumbling with their phone, and by the time they see that it's green, only one car can get through. And I'm just going furious on the inside. Might be raising my arms or my arm, shaking my head, whatever it may be, raising my eyebrows. Um, Or, how about this? How do you speak to your kids when you're in public? How do you treat that lady at the return counter? How about when it comes to tipping your server? How about how you treat that person that's panhandling on the street? What lengths do you go to get the best deal? Perhaps your unbelieving friends see a person who professes the name of Christ, but is so consumed with the things of this world. They see a person who lives for stuff, living for yourself, living selfishly, speaking foolishly. Perhaps you say things that completely contradict the character of God. So friends, remember the the world is watching all the time and they are measuring your witness based off your actions. So are you walking wisely? When others meet you and they get to know you, they get to witness your character and your behavior, are they more attracted to the gospel or are they more repelled of the gospel? Our actions... Our character mean a lot. Scripture teaches us that it's not enough just to profess the name of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 14 says that we are to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, this is character, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The watching world needs to see you and they need to see the reflection of God's holiness in you and in your character. And so your profession of faith is validated by your life as a Christian. Even when it comes to the qualifications of leadership in the church, it's all based on character. Above reproach, character. Unimpeachable, character. And so how's your character? How's your witness? And then Paul further reveals... That walking wisely is also revealed in how we use our time. Are you wisely using your time? Are you making the best use of your time for the mission of Christ? This phrase being translated, making the best use of the time, it's an interesting term. It's actually more literally translated in the sense of buying out of or buying back, redeeming, purchasing time back. Which means that there is a better, more godly way to be spending your time than just spending it on yourself and your things. And so friends, how much time, like really, how much real time are we spending on the mission of Christ? Let's just be super honest with one another this morning. If you were to write down the things that take up your time, what percentage of it would be devoted to the mission of Christ? To walking in front of outsiders with character, sharing the good news. Just think about it how much time do you spend in the last month on working, on playing, on leisure, on sleeping, consuming, compared to that which is your mission, intentionally pursuing the lost? So would it be 15%? Would it be 10? Would it be 5? Would it be 1? Who knows? What are we spending our time doing? And what does that say about our devotion to the greatest cause in all of the universe? Remember, the Great Commission is not the great suggestion. It's a privilege, and it is a command. It is every Christian's mission. And so if there is no margin for the mission, are you really on mission? Or maybe you just don't understand the urgency of the mission James 4, 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So the Lord has saved you to be on mission, to use this short time that he's given you to advance his kingdom for his glory. Not your own kingdom. Not your own glory. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, Lord. Lord. We're here for him. We are here to be instruments of righteousness used to bring God glory by bringing more people into his kingdom. That is your purpose. So why are we wasting our time? And instead of wasting it, Paul calls us here to purchase it back. Redeem it for heavenly purposes. Because ultimately it is not our time. It is his time as you drive by those hundreds of cars in the Deerfoot you see the thousands of people downtown you see all those people around you in this world wherever you go may your heart break for them knowing that they are lost and destined to hell apart from the good news of Jesus Christ Don't be wasting your time we only have so much time. We've got to use it wisely. And so let's get our eyes off of ourselves. Pursue wisely with our character and with our time. And lastly, those who are on mission have a message. We have the greatest news that could ever be shared with anybody. And Paul gives us some final instructions as to how we are to communicate that message. As a church on mission, we must pursue graciously Verse 6, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time, and then let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. So friends, as much as I love those who go out on the street and stand on the corner, maybe they're standing on a soapbox and they're sharing the good news, I have witnessed individuals who have not done this very well. Some who have done it very poorly. One time, Kim and the boys and I were in Nashville. And if you've ever been down on Music Row, it's kind of an exciting place. Um, every different restaurant and bar along the street, there's somebody playing country music. They're all trying to make it big. And we were out that night. I think it was a Friday night, something like that. And uh, all that was going on. And then on the corner was these men standing on these boxes with angry faces, shouting arms crossed, shouting others to repent, almost with scorn on their faces, rebuking the people on the street. I found it kind of embarrassing. There didn't seem to be any love in it. Their approach seemed all wrong. And as much as I love when people go out and share the gospel, standing on a soapbox, sharing the good news of Jesus, that's awesome. There was no graciousness in these guys. It was more repulsive than it was attractive. It was not seasoned with salt. It was not full of grace. I also witnessed this outside of an abortion clinic in Louisville, Kentucky. There was a group of people across the street praying and and trying to engage ladies that were going in there, and that's awesome. We love that. Should be doing that. But then there was this one guy standing right at the clinic, the wall of the clinic, the windows, and shouting at the clinic, waving his Bible trying to preach the devil out of the clinic, angry-faced. Although I support the intention, I support that there was no graciousness in this man. And the goodness of the message was lost in his demeanor. Let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Friends, the gospel in itself is offensive. It is offensive in a good way. First Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The world hates the gospel In, in, in of themselves. Naturally, they hate the gospel. So the gospel in and of itself is offensive in a good way. But let us not offend the world in our own demeanor as we share the gospel. So I'm talking about harshness. I'm talking about anger. I'm talking about forcefulness. Our speech needs to be gracious. It needs to be sweet. It needs to be attractive. Paul says seasoned with salt, that means that it's tasty. You want more of it. So friends, our offensive message must always be shared with love. Speak the truth in love. You know, some people actually pride themselves in offending The lost. I don't know if you've ever looked at Twitter lately. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump here. I'm talking about Christians. Christian circles on Twitter. Many of these conversations are not seasoned with salt. Many of them are not gracious. And they're communicating to each other and also to the outside world. It's not attractive. And they're downright unloving in their communication. We need to share... The truth of the gospel with great love, with great empathy, with great sympathy, with graciousness, with a welcoming tone. Be listening to them as they they talk back to you, and then be ready so that you may know how to answer each person. Be prepared. Know what you know. Know God's word. Friends, our words have power. So we have to be careful with them. We have to be prepared. We have to know the gospel. We have to know the love of Christ. We have to remember the great tenderness and patience and grace that the Lord had with us. So go and tell the good news, but do it with love. Go and share the gospel, but be ready to answer with the same grace that God had towards you. So our devotion to prayer our devotion to mission, our conduct towards outsiders, and the way that we speak are all vital to the success of God's mission through our life. And praise be to God that he has made the way through Christ and that he has privileged us to be a part of this mission. God works through us. God doesn't need us. He privileges to work his will through us and to work his gospel message through us. How will they hear without a preacher? And so, as we set our minds on the things that are above, we've been learning here in Colossians, and as as Christ is faithful to continue to transform us, to transform our relationships, remember, he calls us and compels us to our purpose, which is his mission. Pray and pursue. Pray and pursue. So, as we go through this upcoming summer and for the rest of our earthly lives, you and I are representatives of Christ. We are representatives of the gracious and the loving God. This is your preeminent mission. This is number one in your life. This is what God wants for you as number one. It is commanded that this is Who you are, and it's a privilege. So pray and pursue until Christ returns, and may He find us faithful. May He find us faithful. And so as we walk in this new life in the power of the Spirit, informed by God's word, motivated by the gospel, as the church is on mission, let's commit together to pray fervently, pray missionally, pursue wisely and graciously. To the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are a God who is sovereign, that you are a God that really doesn't need your people, but you privilege to do your work through us. Help us to grasp that. Help us to understand that this life is not about us. Yes, you give us things to enjoy, and we are to enjoy them but let us not be so in love with the world that we forget to set our minds on Christ. And so we as a church, we come to you and we confess that we fall short. We confess that our prayer, our fervency in prayer is not what it should be. And so we confess and we lay that at your feet. And we know that the answer is not just in trying harder. We know the answer is running to your cross repenting of our sin, being in awe of the glory of God on display in Jesus Christ, remembering what we were and now remembering what we are in Him. And so compel us, move us, help us to love you more. We thank you in the name of Christ.